Welcome to Merkaba Chakras, where we talk Buddhism in the fifth dimension. A Buddha is someone who's awake within the matrix and co-creating with divinity as a soul having a human experience. Each enlightened episode is dedicated to help you level up the energy field of your Merkaba. You can manifest the parallel reality that fits the best version of you. This podcast is for entertainment purposes and does not necessarily reflect the views of the host or replace any medical or legal advice. Now, let's welcome your host, author Von Galt, and her guest. Welcome to another podcast episode of Merkaba Chakras. Today, we learn a little bit about Reiki energy healing as a modality for wellness and to connect to source. Hands-on energy healing is an ancient healing modality going as far back to when Yeshua ben Yosef was taught how to do it by his teachers in his childhood Buddhist monastery. It was rediscovered in the 20th century by a Japanese Buddhist monk, Dr. Mikao Yusui, whom taught it to the world. Today, I bring former CIA analyst, Jessica Brodkin, who made a career change into being a successful Reiki energy healing practitioner. And with that, Jessica, welcome to Merkava Chakras. Thank you for having me. Oh, you look fabulous. Yes, you look fabulous. You have fabulous Sumerian hair there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. We'll talk about that a little bit later. So before we discuss your work, and it's fascinating, by the way, can you tell us your story for how you got into this in the first place? Because you started off in CIA. I did. Yes, I started off. With, um, I started working there when I was 22. So right out of college. And then I um, when I was 26, I had debilitating migraines where I would have uh, and um I would have debilitating migraines and uh, sort of pseudo seizures regularly. And I was not able to work and I passed out in front of a friend and um, he w- waved his hands over me and I woke up and my pain was gone. And I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm doing Reiki. And I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Wait, not, not, does he work with you at the C- in the CIA at the no, time? Or no, friend. Oh, okay. Just a friend from, uh, from high school, from growing up. And, uh, and then I went back to, this was in New York. I went back to Washington, DC, where I was living. I found a practitioner and I started going to healings all the time. And, um, and that's how, that's how I became a recipient. And then around nine years ago, around the age of 30, I, um, I kind of had a breakdown again and my sister had a chronic illness and she motivated me to, to heal her. I hmm. sent, I, um, I sent, she lived in my, oh, she lives in Miami. So she's in Miami and I, um, I sent my healer to do distance on her and it didn't work. And I was like, let me try. And then I was able to do it over the phone. And uh, I found out that I was able to help her. 
Nice. And then I got all the training and the certifications, but, but really when I first learned, I really was just, um, and and then later, years later, I found out that this that uh, my relatives have been doing this for generations, and I had no idea. What do you, okay, so let's let's back, let's unpack some of this. So, your sister had what was the ailment that she was having? Uh, ulcerative colitis. Okay, what is that again? It's um it's uh the colon. The has, colon. She had a lot of pain, so okay. I was I'm, I felt motivated by her okay. to pursue, and then I just started practicing on my friends okay. who were interested. And where did you learn? When I initially learned, I initially channeled, which I don't tell a lot of people that, but I initially channeled and then I went. And to how did the- you learn to channel? Or did you just come naturally? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. So um, I had a mental breakdown when I was 30 years old and I started seeing spirits in the woods where I was living. And I thought I was schizophrenic and I went to the doctor and I said, am I schizophrenic? And she said, no, I don't. Um, she's like, you're having a spiritual awakening. This is what my psychiatrist told me. Uh-huh. That's and, what they are like. Uh-huh. And <laughs> that's what she told me. And then the spirits were like, okay, this is how you heal people. And then eventually, and then I went to the man who did Reiki on me and I got Reiki one from him. And then later on, I learned uh, when I moved to New York, I got my other certs, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just remembered, I don't know how else to say this. I found out actually very recently that my great grandmother used to heal people the same way that I do. And I didn't know that. And she was a storyteller and this was turn of the century. Right. And I wonder how she found that. Do you have any kind of records or stories from family, how she learned it? You know, that's a great question. I don't think it's, it's, uh, I don't know. Uh, well, I mean, they're Kabul. They're, so she's the descendant of Persian Jews um, in the Valley of the Caucasus, and they're Kabbalists and mystics who came mm-hmm. from Persia. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. That's all. That's, I all, that's all. That's all. You know, because mm, sometimes, yeah. sometimes um, history and information is stored in the genes. Yes. You have to know how to access it. Yes. So, like, like we are actually the live, like people are the living library of all knowledge. If you guys can comprehend that, that's a lot of information that you can access in anything because we're all connected. So, okay, so so that's so that's your grandma. It's in the genes. It's in your family history, and then you start doing it, and um, the spirits that you saw on, yeah. in the woods. Did you see like what they look like, or was this more feeling? What was the deal? Yeah, they were Catholic in the beginning. So, so what do you mean in the beginning? Did they change and morph? They or? changed over time. Yeah, they changed oh. a lot over time. What right. did they change from? Um, in the beginning, there were saints, and I grew up Jewish, so I did not believe in. I mean, I didn't like not believe in saints, but I just had no connection to saints. Mm-hmm. Um, so they changed their form to find another connection. So, but I mean, the saints were the saints were cool. I was cool okay. with them. They were cool with me. They gave me a lot of instructions. Um, so I would see like my, my, I would see my ancestors. I would see saints. I would see some things I just couldn't recognize. And then I felt like seeing spirits were very, was very stressful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I didn't like it. Uh, it was, it was hard. Was it, did it feel like, I asked these questions because some people coming into the space are having these experiences. So they may be able to relate. I'm I'm still happy to share my experience. Yeah. So teaching tool. 
exactly so did they um what were they just intrusive and that was it what, was intrusive what? there okay. were too many so i i guess this is what some people would call a natural medium mm -hmm. but i just didn't really know how to control it and i went to people and my teacher was helpful in terms of like setting boundaries with them being like my office hours are between 9 and 10 a.m and then yep. that i don't want to hear from you right. and um, so setting boundaries like that was very good, making sure that the spirits that are communicating with you, if anybody is going through this, um, make sure that they're that just because someone is in spirit form doesn't mean they necessarily know better than you. So yes. that was, that was yes. a really big, painful lesson because spirits would say things to me and I, and sometimes they were wrong. And so if you are the way that I've gotten around that now, um, I do connect, like when I go in, I often will, I will connect to different layers. And so I'll call in my ancestors and then my client's ancestors. But mm -hmm. I, I say this with them, like knowing, I'm like, do you want me to call in your ancestors? If, if they're, if they're of that vibe, I'll call in like spirit guides and helpers and shamans and healers and, and angels and, and all of, all of, um, bodhisattvas I call them bodhisattvas sometimes I call in saints sometimes I call in uh different goddesses mm -hmm. and the goddesses of Sumeria or Egypt which are the ones that are my favorite um <laughs> yeah well that's really good okay so because that I've, I've noticed that with clients as well when they come into this skill yeah of kind of being clairsentient yes yes um that um sometimes the beings that you are perceiving because now you're being multidimensional you're like the veil yeah. is thinning for you your energy is higher and so they're um, it's almost like um they're so excited somebody sees them and somebody's able to pick up the knowledge that like, overloads you yeah. yeah there's like everybody comes in like oh my god somebody's so somebody awakening oh my goodness and they they overload you and it's almost and so and the other thing is some of them or many of them have never been human so they don't understand some of the concept of we still got a body i still got to eat i still have relationships to maintain and i still have things to do throughout the day so it's not all about you so there's a level of discernment that you yes, and everybody that gets into this has, mm -hmm, that has to learn well um awesome so that's kind of how you got into the work yeah um now reiki is popular in asia it was practiced in private by small sects of Buddhist monks for over mm -hmm. 2,500 years. And it's actually been going past beyond that. But that's what we have um, in documentation form. Now in 1914, Matai Kawakami, he published a book on Rike in 1922. And this is just, just the documented evidence. Um, but mm -hmm. it, like I said, it's older than this. But Buddhist monk, Dr. Mikao Yusui, rediscovered the version of Reiki taught to Yeshua bin Yosef yes. yes. 2,000 years ago after his moment of awakening at Mount Kamura. So since then, it's been taught to the West through Reiki masters like uh, Mr. Chuyiro Hayashi and Ms. Hawaiyo Tayaka. And mm -hmm. all of them profess experiencing a connection to source while applying Reiki on people and yes. a connection to source for those who don't understand what source is um, source in Eastern philosophy is um, consciousness everything is conscious it's what you call your I am it's what you call God it's what you call Lord the universe doesn't matter yeah. the names it's the 
chi energy um in life, a lot of, force. life force um you know all all of the above and it is in everything that is in existence that's everything in existence all sentient beings all things etc um because it all resides within the consciousness of um the main creator so all of these master reiki healers and teachers profess having a very strong connection when they're applying it because they are tapping into that higher energy and the healing is done on the source level do you also experience a connection with source when you do reiki yes yes absolutely um i love it it feels really it feels it it feels really good. You're in another sort of plane, in another dimension. Things are more creative. Things flow. Um, it just feels very yummy. Yummy. So, yeah, it feels <laughs> yummy. I mean, so, some of the work I do I used to be a little bit more shamanic. Um, and that can be, I mean, there's also like, even in Reiki, they talk about, um, there's some, sometimes it's tough. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, you're dealing with a lot of other people's energy and, 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 um, and even if you work to protect yourself, sometimes you're still covered in soot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's kind it can be kind of gunky energetic work. Yeah. It can be gunky. Absolutely. So yeah, you're connected to source, but you're also like, um, transmuting the darkness into light. Right. And can you explain that process? Can you give us some examples of, of when you're working with a, a client who's coming for, uh, typically a, a medical or some kind of pain on their body and you're feeling that connection to source what does it feel like to be connected to source for those who are not familiar there's tingling all over your body there's sort of like a removal of your own personal pain there's sort of like a distance between you and your human experience um so are you almost egoless like there's almost like no identity when you get to that point um, often, yes, but I'm also concentrating hard and, and I work, I mean, I work manually as well. So sometimes I do distance work, uh, like later tonight, I'm going to be doing distance work. Then I, um, then there's, um, I also do s- s- somatic touch, I guess. So mm-hmm. through touch to help move energy out. So I'll use a couple of modalities and through the touch, it's kind of um, sort of I, I can feel their pain as well because I'm clairsentient. I can feel the client's pain and mm. I know where to go. So knowing where to go is a very um, intuitive experience. I use my intuition to read the energy and to know where it is and what it means and, and how to get it out. Okay. So when you're applying Wiki, are you going through their different chakras or different points in the chakras going, oh, there's a stuck here and this is where we need to it's not as or... pro- it's not as procedural. Mm-hmm. So I think traditional Reiki is a little bit more procedural. This is more like somebody gets on the table and I'm like touch their I, I usually touch touch them somewhere and I'll be like, okay, tell me about your mom or your hips or you feel this way about your work. You don't like your apartment. This like all I'll get like a huge download and then and then I feel like I'm being guided where to work on them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're aligned with chakras, sometimes they're not. So I do want to make sure all the chakras are aligned. So I'll go through them, especially at the end, to make sure that they're all balanced. Mm-hmm. My intuition will tell me exactly where to go. Sometimes it's right. And there are, you know, seven main chakras, but I think there are 108 overall. Chakras. I mean, there are many chakras. Oh, 108? 
I think oh. there are more. There, I think there are there are a lot of small chakras. There's oh, one, mini mini vortex. Mini ones. Yeah, there are many ones. The ones in the palm. Um, but there's seven like primary ones. Right, there's, right. There's a base one in the foot that's a little more. There chakras outside of the body. I mean, it's like a whole thing. It's like a whole system. I definitely system. Will go through the seven main ones, but really the way that I work is to um, connect to the energy field connect to any downloads that I need, especially for a new person. New mm. person will often have a lot of downloads, but not always. Sometimes people don't want to talk. They just want to just be on the healing. Table. They just yeah. want the healing. And then, mm. and then, and then, um, and then go in there based oh. on what's going on. Just, I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, that, that makes, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And then let me ask you something about the chakras. Like, you know, typically there's the seven chakras, which people are familiar with, yeah. but I have, um, I have studied in different, uh, modalities that there could be up to 12 chakras and um it depends on like the chakras that we have are reflective of of the planets that we have in our solar system because we're made of the same formula mm-hmm. and so um have you have you gotten have you ever like when you're working with somebody gotten like 12 chakras or more chakras i feel like there are more than seven mm-hmm. but I can tell you like where I see tension in people and Mm -hmm. the way that I think about it is less about chakras and more about the um, emotional map of the body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, if like the forearms, there's a lot of unspoken tension that they're holding in their forearms and not letting go. Right shoulder, other people's stuff, left shoulder, difficulty receiving, knees, difficulty um, accepting, difficulty bending, lack of flexibility, um, lower back, feeling like there's lack of support. So for me, Mm. um, also, I, um, I kind of have a low key obsession with Chinese medicine. (laughs) (laughs) My friends are sounding a lot like it. Yeah. And and my friends, um, I've been to I think nine or 10 acupuncturists in my life, which is really a lot. And I'm friends with so many. And also like, um, they used to like to join our center, like they would go through, they would practice acupuncture on me and be like, mm-hmm. okay, this one's good. This one's not. And mm-hmm. so, so I'm, I'm just so well-versed in the, um, in the meridian system. And I love working with the meridian system. So there'll be a lot of grief in the rib cage. So whatever knowledge I have of acupuncture, really some of it is knowledge and some of it is intuition, but I let my, I let my hands go where I need to need them to go if that makes sense right 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 so you just kind of like you just kind of like feel where like most like a magnet like a magnet yes 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 yes. because my intuition will be like oh oh you didn't let go from your breakup okay oh you feel this oh you are holding there was one girl I had recently I like touched her hip and I was like you don't she told me she wanted to break up I'm like oh you're taking care of your boyfriend all the time and you have a tendency of codependency that comes from your family mm-hmm. and that you are trying to, you believe that in order to receive love, you have to overgive. Mm-hmm. And then that was like, you know, like that's kind of like a typical And what thing. was the remedy for her? How could she overcome well, those well, patterns and learn differently? I mean, physically, I, I was working it out of her body. Mm-hmm. And then the remedy for her, she's in therapy. So she said she's working on codependency issues with her therapist, which is great. And then my, I mean, one of my favorite things that I teach is also tapping, EFT tapping. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
So I love, love tapping and I love teaching people how to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's a good skill to have as well. You know, basic life coping skills is kind of one of the things that um, a lot of clients kind of lack. And so they are, you know, in, in what you're saying, I've, I've seen the similar pattern with other healing modalities in that um, oftentimes clients will come in for a certain pain or yeah. um, something on the body. And then during the interview and the further you dissect it, whether you do it through kind of into intuitive approach to it or yeah. whatever the approach is, it always comes down to something about a the way that they're handling um, their life or their relationships or something. Right. And so it's just manifesting on their body. That's kind oh, of like a yeah, last yeah, resort. Yeah. So how, how can people um, do pre be preventative in the way they live their life so that it doesn't get to a point where the body has to scream out, stop doing that. I'm going to like knock out your arm. <laughs> That's really a great question. Um, what is, I mean, there's so many different things you can do that if I like list them, yeah. them all off. This is the top ones, the top ones. Okay. Top one, um, morning pages. So write, just, just write three loose leaf pages of your stream of consciousness. Get all your thoughts out, all that, take a big mental dump of how you feel. Um, a lot of, what a lot of people do is that they uh, gaslight themselves or their spiritual bypassing where they they feel a certain way, but they don't actually process it. And then it ends up in their body. Can so you give an example of that? Because I mean, it was an example for me. Like I, um, I hated my job and instead of quitting, I just got migraines and I was so sick that I couldn't go to my job. Mm -hmm. So your body was preventing you from my body was my body was having a conniption. So morning pages, journaling, meditation. There's so many different types of meditating. Mm -hmm. um, I like hot baths with sea salt and baking soda. Um, EFT tapping, uh, listening listening to sound bowls. I listen to sound bowls on, uh, on YouTube all the time. Yeah, I listen to them going to bed. <laughs> yeah, it, it's amazing. So those are kind of like my favorite. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm is that enough? That's, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot. So there's a lot of different ways to kind of cope. To manage yourself. To manage yourself instead of... Oh, write a gratitude to... list. Oh, that's like, a good one. That's a really good one. When you're really feeling crappy, write a gratitude list. My only, like, I guess, fear with, um, with gratitude... I think gratitude is always important, but I think it's also important to face how you actually feel. So it's like, if you hate your living situation, yeah... It's, you're grateful that you have a roof over your head, but you also like take some inspired action. Right. Um, you could do Kundalini yoga. Um, mm -hmm. you could do ch if regular yoga, regular meditation is hard. That's another good thing. Mm -hmm. Those are like eight minute chants. You can do chanting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of different ways. Yeah. Very, very good um, techniques. Now, you know, science is still studying the effects of Reiki on um, clients. Yeah. I know I read all the medical journals, you guys, I read all the boring stuff for, <laughs> for my, um, my, my book research. But, you know, the results, the results are profound for some practitioners as compared to other Reiki practitioners. Why are some Reiki healers more successful than others in your experience? Is it the practitioner? 
So oh by, 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 I just want to know what you mean by success. Do you mean more effective for more effective? Client? Yeah. Cause you have some, you have some people who are, um, getting more clients because obviously they're effective. Then you have others going, I don't really feel anything with that person. So, I mean, right. why, why the difference? Okay. So I think that there's like a few things to, I guess, unpack here. Cause one is like one, why is one more effective? And one, why does one have more business? Cause those okay. can be very separate. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause having more business can do with so many things, right? People have money blocks, people have money stories, people have um, maybe they're just not advertising. Well, maybe they, um, they have issues being seen from a past life. They were like, I was a healer in a past life and I was murdered or whatever. And they're carrying that. Um, or, yeah. you know, there's, there's so, but for the most part, it's probably money blocks that they have. And so maybe they need to work on their money mindset um, in terms of being a practitioner. Um, why are some people more effective than others? You know, I don't, that's a, I don't really know. I mean, I, I have. I mean, ideas. like, like earlier, like when you when your sister was sick and you yeah. had um, someone tried to do reiki on her, he wasn't as effective, and then you did it, and you were more effective. So yes, I mean, so some people. I I think that it's important if you do it to for it to come to to be for it to come from your soul. Hmm for it to feel aligned, that you're not doing it from a place of ego. But I don't think anybody does Reiki from a place of ego. This is not really an Mm -hmm. ego job. They're like, I'm a great healer. Like nobody like, Mm -hmm. I don't meet people. I know that there are people like that, but I haven't personally met any of them. Um, I think that uh, I was talking to a friend today who um, goes to Reiki healer, a different one, not me. And she, I I was telling her that I believe that some people have soulmate clients. I believe that, Mm. you know, some people- Explain that. You have a soul contract to help this person specifically. And so you might be a more effective person for that particular. It's like, why are you and your husband a good match? And you wouldn't be a good match for other people. It's like, you guys belong together. You know what I mean? No, I do know what you mean. And that is such a good point because, um, and maybe you can expand on this as well. Um, Because I I get clients for my hypnosis and consulting for this stuff. And oftentimes they'll recognize me from the very get-go, almost like yes. as if I am picking up from when I consulted them last. Yes. And, yes. Um, and or they'll have remembrance that um, in the spirit world, prior to incarnating, I helped plan their life. Um, and I'll, yes. And, yeah. Yes. So, and, and actually it's funny because growing up, a lot of Buddhist monks in the monasteries that I attended would tell me, oh, you're a life planner in the spirit world. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> I know like, this job. You plan people's lives. It's kind of like a travel agent consulting on, on you know, the excursions <laughs> you're going to take on a cruise. I'm like, what a boring job. <laughs> but um, but I, 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 get, I get people who it's almost like we're carrying that on. So I completely yeah. understand that. So that's, that's why. You know, I, have, I, ha- I have one client who I've had for a really long time and he went to, I guess, three healers before me. And we've been together the longest and like, we feel like uh, we did our astrology and it's like um, family in a past life. Mm. And so there are definitely people who are my clients um, that I, that I feel like I, I was the one who was supposed to help them or, you know what I mean? Or for a certain amount of time, like you can't carry some, you know what I mean? Some people are your soulmates. Clients Mm -hmm. can be your soulmates for sure. 
That's true. Um, I read in, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar, Dr. David R. Hawkins, he is, that was um, number one mental health um, doctor and had one of the biggest psychiatric hospitals that he um, oversaw in his lifetime when he was practicing medicine. And then in his senior years, he wrote a lot of spiritual books and he created the map of consciousness to kind of measure your energy level. Anyways, in his book series, he talked about this specifically, that he what? had, that he had clients it's true. He had, I read all his stuff, but he had clients who are, um, he had, for example, he had this one client who came to him and was like, I have 500 pink flamingos in my farm. I cannot get rid of them. I try to sell them. They come back. What is the deal? And Dr. Hawkins did the map of consciousness on and basically found out, oh, um, you're their guru. You're their teacher in a past life. They were your part they were your parishioners they followed you around but you led them a little bit astray so it's your karma to take care of them in this life <laughs> and so now it's <laughs> so funny uh, so now he lives in florida he has 500 very lush pink flamingos that he cannot get rid of that he has to take care of in his farm he's a flamingo farm <laughs> so he can't find another job and this is funny that is but, that, that is hilarious karma that is hilarious karma but it, but it, he's like oh that makes sense he's like i tried to find other i tried to sell my farm nobody would take i tried to get rid of my flamingos it will always come back um you know i someone there was no way he can get rid of it and dr hawkins told him exactly that that's what he's like that was her thing and he's like well why did it work that way? He's like, would you like the other way to deal with this karma? This is a very pleasant way that consciousness has found for you guys to resolve your karma together without punishing anybody. You live in a very nice tropical farm with 500 very loving pink flamingos that swim all day. I mean, and that's, I, lo I love very graceful. Yeah, it's a I very graceful them. way of... Um, resolving the karma so he's like oh, okay so but that's but that is what he found is that um you know when and I, I know this is a podcast and we're talking about this stuff and you have people who come to your clients i have people who come to my clients and there's a lot of people who start podcasts and a lot of people who start um different channels and they're sending a message out what message you get sent out will follow you around and those subscribers who follow the work will be tied to you depending on how much they subscribe to you so be cautious of what you put out in the world because you might end up having them all be your flamingos in a tropical flamingo farm <laughs> honestly that does not sound bad that sounds really nice to me but i also yeah. I love the tropics and I love flamingos. So um. yeah, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a beautiful, beautiful way. Um, and then another thing that Hawkins talked about too, because he is in the medical field. Um, and so he has a lot of med medical colleagues. And he said, um, and I can't remember quite what one of his books, but he said in another example that um, if you are a, if you are a, doctor and you were practicing bad medicine your clients that you did wrong to also follow you around in another lifetime so that you can do right what you did wrong so um be mindful what message you put out and how you treat others because they will be tied to you some way they could be your clients 
You can have a whole book of clients that are just horrible and hideous, but you can't get rid of them. They come back. <laughs> so, so I guess what I'm hearing from you is your success, quote unquote, as a healer uh, is also karmic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that will make sense because they're, because and that's what Dr. Hawkins found out in his work as well is, and you can create new karma for yourself as well. You do it all the time. Um, every action, right? Every action. Um, you don't necessarily have to, it's not, karma is not necessarily a bad thing. It's basically just um, energy. That's basically it. So if you recognize and, un, uh, and resolve patterns that create um, negative experiences that you no, no longer want, then you learn to create better patterns for yourself, better experiences. And, um, you know, you can go higher too. You can go up. And that's what Dr. Hawk was like, you know, the scale goes up both ways, people. You can always go up higher. So, um, but, so that's, that's kind of what you're finding in your practice as well. You know, let me ask you this. Here's another question. Um, in your experience, is it the practitioner, the client, or is it source that does the healing? Who does the healing? For me, it's mostly source. And also, I think it's mostly source, but also, um, what's, what's the right word? I mean, I don't know how much your audience believes in karma. I am a super oh, yeah. big believer in karma. I'm like, I studied karma with Tibetan Buddhists. Um, I'm like very, very into karma. And, uh, but also I come from a family that believes in it. My mom was like obsessed with karma. Well, karma is in the West. People don't necessarily understand right. karma. Um, karma, if you, you know, they, they think karma is bad, but if you look at energy, it's just the flow of energy, you know, Karma's that's all a it law. is. It's like gravity. It's, it's, yeah. It's like actually neutral. Karma is actually neutral. It's just balancing whatever took place before. Exactly. It's like throwing a, a pebble in the water. The ripples will eventually come right. back and settle itself out. And that's basically, that's basically it. So no, there's no judgment to that. Um, and if but, you learn those lessons, you don't have to keep on recreating those lessons. Right. I think that is also the client, maybe it's the client's karma to heal or not to heal or how quickly to heal. Why do you say that? Wouldn't everybody want to heal fast? Well, well, it's regardless of what they want, but what's their karma? Can you give an example of what you mm -hmm. found? I guess I had, I have someone who um, was physically very sick and no one was able to help him, unfortunately. And I've, I've never really stopped. I became friends with this client and I never really, um, I never really wanted to give up. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But he has a lot of physical ailments that don't seem to have a, um, a solution what were some of the ailments that he was working with or dealing with? Dealing poor, it's weird. I mean, for, for his privacy, I don't want to yeah, talk yeah. about it, but it was like, it's mostly physical stuff. It's mostly but physical he, stuff? But he's, he's a big believer that it's his karma. Um, but he's, you know, he keeps trying. And then I keep trying or I keep thinking, hey, what about this or try this? And we're still like um, interact. But um, have you guys looked into maybe if they, it, it's unresolved patterns from different lifetimes? I mean, that's what I think it is. That's, that's where, that's where my head's at right now. Yeah. So, and then maybe like, like maybe if you, I'm not sure if Ricky has the, has the ability, ability to, to do that. Does it? Right. 
Not really. Not really. I mean, so, I don't. I don't really think so. Okay. Okay. Well, because there, and I know hypnosis and and hypnotic meditation has the ability to yeah. go in and review different lifetimes. Yes. Yes. Um, and then see if there I've is experienced a, that. Yeah, if the, oh, we're going to talk about that because we have some fun ones to share for people. That's some fun stuff. <laughs> I know somebody's like, "Why are you trying to rush this, Vaughn?" Um, but yeah, we have we have some fun stuff about that. But I know some of those modalities offer the ability whether you do it yourself through hem- hypnotic meditation, right, or you have somebody help facilitate it through yes. any kind of hypnosis. All many of them very much the same process um no matter the form just the script might be a little bit different but for the most part it is the same um and i've studied a lot of different hypnosis modalities in my in my 20 years of scientific research into into consciousness um that many of them are much oh yeah (laughs) reading all these scientific medical quantum physics journals they are very dry but i got the material um but anyways um many of them will have opportunity to review different lifetimes and then see if there is a abundance block something and oftentimes what i found is it's related to some kind of relationship in their soul group um does reiki kind of tap into any of that because sometimes like people i'll give you an example um i have clients who until they've gone through hypnosis uncovered which relationship in the current lifetime is recreating the patterns they will break the same leg over and over and over again in different ways it's always the same leg they break this they break the same leg that over. that they hurt in another lifetime yeah in this lifetime they break it multiple different ways different ways walking stumbling falling something hit them same spot and they stopped and but then they would um go through the interview and it will find out that they um they were afraid of moving forward in something in their life and that is because it is tied to uh, feeling inadequate with like a family member and so then they go through a past life and that family member typically will have a past life together um, where they held each other back and they really regret those life decisions. And so the leg is like, you're not going to go forward. So, I mean, it's those kind of, those kind of things. Um, and so sometimes it's like, That's what, what? I need to hire you immediately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have plenty I've, got, of cl- I've got some work for you right now. <laughs> I have plenty of clients. Podcast. I'm both under hypnosis later people. Like I'm just, <laughs> I'm going to talk about your Sumerian background, but, um, but, but yeah, what are the likelihood that you break the same leg in your lifetime multiple times in the same exact way in multiple ways? What's the likelihood of that? So, um, and sometimes um, some clients will have all of a sudden at a certain time, I had a client where once she got to a certain age, she would have um, this, they call it kind of like a mole, but for um, ethnic people, it looks dark. Okay, a keloid, yeah. So she had a keloid stripe that kind of went through across her her chest. And then as she got older, she got another one and they looked like a triangle in a triangle in a line. And and her doctors couldn't figure out why would it grow in this 
very unique, perfect tattoo pattern. And, um, and there were legitimate kilos, you couldn't get rid of it. And what was found out in, um, in her session was that um, one, she was part of a tribe and that was the, her unique marking in an ancient tribe. And then two, um, she chose it to prevent herself from getting desperate and going into prostitution. So it would prevent her from taking kind of weird kind of um, jobs in college and everything else. So, uh, and it did, it completely, and it, but it also kind of made her con unconscious about her relationships with men because she was afraid they're going to judge it because of this tribal looking keloid. So once she figured out, then she was like, okay, I can at least accept it and stop hating myself for this, it, this thing on her body. So, um, so sometimes, oh. yeah. So, 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 so sometimes these things, you know, can, the answers could rest in different lifetimes that you just have yet to resolve. And so you, have you seen anything like that with, um, with your clients in Enrique? I mean, I did. I don't even really understand how it resolved, mm -hmm. um, but I just did a session with him. He was 11 at the time. He had a past life that he was having nightmares from. Ooh, okay. I did a lot of healings on his mother. I was talking about soulmate clients. This family and I are, have some sort of crazy karma. Like they are my soulmates. Explain that. Explain that. Um, so his mother is like a famous author or became a famous author. And I helped her through lots of miscarriages. And then she eventually had her son. And so that was really huge. And then I ended up working with the entire family. I ended up healing the husband, her husband, her son, mm -hmm. her father-in-law, who I see every like six weeks and, and uh, her sister-in-law and her sister-in-law's friend who became a good friend of mine. And so like, there's some sort of like weird connection between me and this family. I <laughs> That's don't, so funny. I, I don't know, but, but, there, but the son, he, he stopped having nightmares after the session. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we basically, we talked about this life. We were sort of, he was in like, sort. it wasn't hypnosis, but he was, it was during a Reiki session. He was talking about um, this other lifetime and then he felt like it, it, it resolved for him. So, okay, that's good. Yeah, because he was getting all these nightmares. It was terrible. Oh, that's good. So, so, so he doesn't, need, you don't necessarily need to understand what happened. You just need to know that, you know, you can just, if you're ready for the healing, you can get ready for the healing. But for some people, they want to know what happened in order to, it's the kind of like the, the, the thinking process. Here's my question to you. And I know you're interviewing me, so maybe it's not appropriate. That's but okay. My, <laughs> but my question to you. You want me to tell me you about your Sumerian background and your client that your soul group client that you just talked about? Because that's what priestesses did back then. What did they do? Priestesses in, um, in the mystery schools of Egypt typically, um, so like back in the ancient days, there wasn't very many careers for people who don't know. There wasn't very many careers for very good looking, very smart women okay um in egypt all right so if you're lucky enough to be married to a fairly wealthy guy then lucky for you um that you got born into that class but for the most part um you're either in poverty or you're a prostitute there wasn't very many opportunities out there um, especially if you want to learn um except for if you're pretty and you're smart you could be a priestess and you can 
Oh, the, so that, they, they only let pretty girls be priestesses? Yeah, because who wants the ugly girl to heal them? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Man, we can't get a break. We always have to be cute. It's so hard. I mean, no offense, no offense, but like some like old guy having like having um, medical problems. I mean, he he they they want somebody good looking to work on your body. <laughs> yes, lovely priestess, give me some healing. Tell me about <laughs> it's funny. It's funny, but I I say that not only because that's what I see, but also because um, in Buddhism. Yeah. It is written in our scrolls. Um, and actually, you guys, I, it's in book two of Buddhist mandalas, which I'm finishing up and it will come out soon. But um, there is a section about Yeshua ben Yosef, or what you know as Jesus, and Miriam of Magdala, which is Mary Magdalene or Mary of Magdala, which is the area in which she came from in Israel. That's why her last name is Magdala. So anyways, what we typically would do is we would, um, we taught Yeshua a lot of the metaphysics so that he can pass and be prepared for his exams in the mystery schools of Egypt, because it was pretty intensive. Right. Um, but um, the mystery schools is basically like a university of a lot of medical stuff, which is a lot of energy healing and all that kind of stuff. And so if you're a priestess, what you are is you're a teacher. You're a teacher and you also, as part of the teaching profession, you facilitate healings, you facilitate energy healings, you facilitate counseling, and oftentimes you facilitate to the wealthy who can pay you for the most part. And the wealthy that can pay you for the most part um, are typically the, the madame of the household. And if you, are, if you are successful with her, she'll refer you to her family. And then there's your book list. There's your client list. And that's probably what happened with your, that soul group of, of people that just is gravitating to you because you're carrying on that consultation from the mystery schools and being a priestess in that time. So that's why you look Sumerian too, because oftentimes you incarnate from uh, the cultural or genetic line in which, you know, we typically pick lifetimes that are very similar. So um, you're Sumerian, I'm Lemurian. <laughs> so, or I'm, I'm Hmong from the Hmong tribe of Northern Laos, China, Himalayan areas. I mean, amazing, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, and, um, and you know, for for some energy healers in like northern um, Europe, who also like in Celtic, yes, um, Lemuria. Yeah, some of them are from Lemuria, but they're also kind of a bridge to um, Atlantis, being priestess in Atlantis. So, um, but anyways, that goes into a different book project that I have yet to finish. Um, getting, getting that it's it's a the tribe the pyramids, megaliths, and tribal folklores of Asia, <laughs> Europe, Africa, North America, South America. So it is it's quite a it's quite a process. Yeah, but but anyways, not not to not to get into that, but but that's the concept of soul groups as clients just kind of like we talked about with dr hawkins yeah. himself had found yeah. that um people like different preachers will get their own practitioners or 
their own group of people. And you see those televangelists on TV who they have their own like big speakerphone and big auditoriums of people. And where whatever path they lead to is creating, you know, some of the things for if they choose to reincarnate again in Buddhism, um, they may get 2,000 <laughs> chickens or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know how they, there's usually some grace um, involved with it, but, um, but that's kind of, that's kind of the thing. And then um, the thing with Egyptian or Sumerian priestesses as well is like, because I know you have that lovely, like, Persian Sumerian kind of thing. They usually would wear that um, when they are doing their ceremonies and they often work with music because the priestesses would have to orchestrate the music and schedule out with the band um that's why if you look at egyptian um murals they will have the priestess and then they usually have some instrument or they have some band by them because when it comes to ceremonies and healing everybody likes a little music and so um and so that's that's synonymous with some of the functions of um of priestesses as well so it wasn't a bad life, yeah. It sounds really lovely. Yeah, so you had a good life as a priestess in Egypt. Um, but now you're carrying it on in this life um, as the Reiki energy healer for um, the for your book of business. Yeah, and uh, it's so wild because when I saw it, I got this in Morocco. When I saw it, I was like, I have to have it. And it was very expensive at the time. Um, and I was just like, I don't care. I was like, I had to... And, um, but yeah, I wear this as a shield when I'm working, but this to me is like my business. My best friend calls it my three-star general of <laughs> the spiritual world. He's like, you're wearing your stars. You're ready to go into <laughs> spiritual battle. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, there is, I actually have yet to interview him, but, um, there is this Israeli, um, jewelry maker and he actually made, uh, my, uh, my necklace, which is like, Beautiful. It's, it's basically the, it's, um, it's sacred geometry it's sacred geometry but it's basically the star of david but in buddhism they um they work it completely out there you go the star of david um but they work it completely out and the star of david is in my first book buddhist mandalas i go through the science behind it as well but the star of david is um a platonic solid it's icosahedron in terms of map it's icosahedron it's a fifth dimensional christ consciousness um, form and um, like the Sri Yantra and all the different symbols, um, the swastika and all that kind of stuff, um, the yin yang, all of it are just different forms of the same exact thing. So we're all, and, and actually the sacred geometry was taught to um, Yeshua by um, his third Magi teacher. So, do you have a question? No, I was just saying that the, um, yeah, so I have, I have Metatron's cube, which is, mm -hmm platonic solids in there then i have mm -hmm. the flower of life and then i have the merkaba all um, the same thing yeah, they're, all, they're all the same thing they're all together i like them all together yeah um, but um yeah the merkaba is also the symbol of the heart chakra so the jewish yeah. star symbol of the heart chakra which yeah. is consciousness is from the heart chakra exactly exactly yeah Buddhism is the um the into the the this chakra sorry the sixth chakra Buddhism is supposed to be the pineal gland, isn't it? 
Uh, well, B Buddhism, the, the, the word bood from Sanskrit just basically means to awake. So it's just somebody who awakens, who is awakened within the matrix and sees the holographic illusion mm -hmm. of the of the Maya. Yes. And they see like the waving. They, they see that it's not, I got to get out of that consciousness because it's almost like just be solid. Um, but, um, but because you are more awake within and you, and you see the energy more, um, you understand that it's all malleable, malleable, and it, that reality is, uh, reflective of the consciousness that creates it. It's a very metaphysical, that's stuff that you would know in, in there, um, from your Sumerian background. Nice. So, but, um, but. The other thing also is, let me ask you this. Let's go back to the, um, the interview. <laughs> so I feel like I'm giving a consultation to one of my clients going, okay, so this is. <laughs> um, okay, so your clients' imbalances, are they do they relate to dense issues from past lives or past memories that are held in their org field? Have, have you been able to kind of, when you're, you're reading somebody's Reiki energy, go because you were saying you like oh this is relates to this and this relates to that I mean I'm mostly I'm I for a lot of uh, you know it depends on what you think or how you view the world because every issue is a past life issue if if you look at it from far away mm -hmm. you know what I mean like everyone incarnate if, if we're going from the highest spiritual level everyone incarnates with a soul mission our soul mission is 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 here from our past is, is, um, is there, and our soul mission, our karma, all of this all comes from past lives. And we're, we're, we're here. We're, we're in this sort of like Super Bowl of life. I don't know. Uh -huh. how uh -huh. um, we're all incarnating. So every issue is a past life issue. I don't, um, I mostly work with, um, it, it depends how deep the person wants to go. Mm -hmm. So often I work like so most you were saying earlier and maybe not for the recording but when we were chatting that uh -huh. any of issues have to do with mom and dad most of the time that's what i found and many most other and my teachers as well right most of the time the issues have to do with the mom and, and mother and father and um the mother and father is also for a child the first relationship with god or the universe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you're a baby your parents are god right they are for feeding you for taking care of you for shelter for for love for affection for your nervous system for your attachment system and then to all the people who are looking for love and having issues there so many of our issues are attachment issues so are you really attached are you anxiously attached and that's classic psychology so yeah. i feel like all of this if you like I don't know if you believe in past lives, which obviously you and I are like obsessed. Oh, I'm Buddhist. I believe in past lives. There's a whole like there's a whole elemental to that. Yeah. Yes, yes. and I'm I'm you know I I, I mean I, I almost converted to Buddhism, but I didn't officially do. There's it. nothing to convert to. You can't well, convert to. I mean, Buddhism is just basically the, the study of everything. So I mean, nothing to convert I was to. Take vows. So what, what's that? You could take vows, like you could you could do a, a refuge, like you can take vows in Tibetan Buddhism. You can take uh, vows of no, no. I mean, oh, well, you can. I mean, you could. It's just basically mantras. You can say anything, but there's no like, no one's going to excommunicate you. No one's going to initiate you. No one's going to do anything like that. It's just, it's just basically a, a principles to live by, and then um, don't kill. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. So just like the basic, it's basic four noble truths and just some basic practices. And there's a whole bunch of energy healing modalities and meditation modalities that you could choose from to connect to consciousness. Um, when you say the scrolls, were you talking about the sutras or? Oh, the just basically books because we document everything. All yeah. the monks are just basically scribes. That just yeah. it's a university, it's an ancient university, um, and over and 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 they've gotten so far in um, in the study of consciousness and metaphysics that they basically just secluded themselves into their own little schools and over time they became monasteries and the and the scribes the monks became scribes and that's why they do a lot of the hunching because they're just sitting there writing all day and so the luckily bodhidharma which is um one of the master teachers in china mm -hmm. bodhidharma actually was the teacher that taught kuan yin um the famous fema buddha of china um all many of the things that she learned and then she took it all the way um but anyways he he had kind of came across a monastery and said oh my goodness you guys are all fat and and cripple you guys need to work out and so he taught them kung fu and that's where the shaolin um, monks learned kung fu was from their founder bodhidharma who taught um, many of the principles and also taught them the principles of kung fu which is chi in action so um but you know so there's a lot of different modalities to connect to consciousness to connect to the energy force the chi of all things in all in everybody you can do it with kung fu if you do it if you know how to do it um correctly is related is is kung fu all is related to qigong then many of kung, the 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 basic bodhidharma, the basic principles of Kung Fu, and I'm not a Kung Fu artist, anybody there, because I know there's people who get really into it, but the basic principles of Kung Fu, bodhidharma kind of taught him them like just different ways to be kind of like a, a dragon, kind of like a tiger, kind of like a snake, and there's certain movements of energy for the different positions. And yeah, yeah and, and those movements of energy really help um, tone the body up and kind of get the body moving so um, a lot of um, the monks in the Shaolin monastery and the surrounding areas um, you know start adopting that to kind of break up the monotony of writing and scribing all the knowledge all day long because when everybody somebody when somebody found a new meditation technique let's write it down when somebody came up with a new sixth sense let's write it down because they wanted to make sure they write it all down um, because if somebody in some point through infinity incarnates um, and comes across a certain ability or a certain technique and they need help, they can at least go, okay, let's dust it out, let's dust it out, okay, dust it out. This, this monk here wrote about apportation and how to apport and how to like, you know, live with it, how to amplify it. So there's your book, go study. And that's basically what it what it was. There's a lot of books on like energy healing um, modalities, the tankas, all that kind of stuff. So this, there's a there's a lot. Um, I I think you're on my twenty seventh podcast, and I probably I've so I found twenty seven different ways to connect to consciousness, and um, I probably just keep doing this. This is easy to do. I can probably do it for most of my life. So I'll probably by the end of time. By the time that I'm uh, no longer doing podcasting um, for the YouTube show, I may just have like 2,000 different ways to connect to source. So there's no reason to Wait. not connect to source. 
There's infinite ways to connect to source. Yes, and there's so many fun ways. You could do Kung Fu, you could do Reiki, you could do other things. There's so many ways. And none of them is better than anybody else. Um, they're just different because everybody is, they everybody resonates at a different frequency. So they're going to be attracted to certain things more than others. And then it changes over time. Yes. So different people have different medicine for you. Yes, exactly, exactly. My therapist is going to have different medicine than let's say your past life regression. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. So, and, and I think they're fun. So I, I'll, I'll get into an energy circle and anything. I'll, I'll do it. I have a question. So here's, here's my question to you. If I okay. may. Yeah. Uh, what if a past life is really disturbing to the client? How do, how do you handle that? Or do they learn information that they really wish they didn't know? Does that happen? Um, yes. So some past lives, some people will tap into past lives where they were a slave, okay? And um, the thing is when, like, if you're doing hypnosis, you can, you can, any form of hypnosis, you get to the part where you talk to consciousness itself and you go all the way back to why did you plan that life as a slave? And why did you go do that stuff? And what's surprising is I've had clients because I had a life as a slave too and I'll tell you my lifetime um but um what's surprising is they play into different lifetimes so maybe you had a life as a slave so that you know what it feels like so that you could overcome it in that lifetime or um, you could overcome it and it builds into just a bigger role in the next lifetime does that make sense so it's kind of like mini lessons built up so that you know, it's kind of like when you go into kindergarten and you learn certain principles as you grow, go into different grades, and then all of a sudden you get to a part where you've learned the basics, and now you can create even bigger. So, but but while they're going through it, if it's traumatic, they don't have to experience it directly. They can experience it as an observer. So you know how to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So like a lot of hypnosis, like if the client, because when they're going in, they're going in and they're having basically a lucid dream. Yeah. Okay. And when you're in a lucid dream, it, it looks so real. You know, you have those dreams where it's like, it's so real. It's almost like I could touch it. It's almost like yeah. I was it. I was that person because you are that person that you're, you're more than likely having Mind a review of a past. Right? Yeah. You're more than likely having a review of that past life. Um, and oftentimes in hypnosis, my clients will go and review certain um, lifetimes that are critical for their understanding of, of whatever they're working with in this lifetime. And um, then later on, they would go and they would fact check some of the material and it will always come back accurate. Um, and they didn't know anything about it. So, you know, that's always very interesting. They have lots of fun going and following and trying to fact check what they find. And they're like, oh my God, this is real. So they always have, I said, you have fun with that when you go home. But for now, let's just focus on what is the information that you need to get out of this? Because, um, you know, it's just like in your life, you're going to have some traumatic events. Sure. Okay. You can relive them directly and let them affect you, or you can learn from them and take what you learn and, you know, and, and see it that way. Or you can look, you can be an observer from afar. You don't have to really live it, go through it. You, you notice the difference? Yeah, 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 of course. So that's, that's what, that's one thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much that's pretty much the case when they come up with traumatic things. So like, like I'll tell you an example. Okay. So, um, cause you know, I do past life, all life regression basically. And, um, 
I did a lot of different ones on myself before I started to do it and offer it just for learning. And um, in one lifetime, I was a mulatto slave girl. I was very light skin and um, I was um, traded to my master to be his mistress. Okay. And back then there wasn't very many choices, so it was looking pretty good. <laughs> so it, you know, so I, that was just my lot. So I was, I was traded to him. It is my husband in this lifetime. Now here's the thing. <laughs> no, 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 this is really funny. So so he had um, he had bought me because obviously it was very beautiful, and the beautiful um, slave women are not part of the typical slave trade. They're kind of presented like in a kind of like a show gallery um, ball, ballroom kind of thing, you know, kind of like date whoever in a ballroom. So, anyways, um, but he 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 picked me out and fell in love with me and paid for me pretty handsomely and I was his mistress but um but you know he was a young guy he had inherited a plantation um in the United States he inherited a plantation and he went to the the Barbados at the time to pick it up pick me up and kind of because that's kind of like the hub I didn't know this my husband didn't know this at the time um but you know, I am having this after we went on our honeymoon in Barbados and we went to this plantation and it was like, my husband just automatically had to go to the bathroom. He just walked straight there, had the bathroom came back. And I was like, well, how'd you know? Where? And he's like, I don't know. I just know where we went. And I'm walking around, like I know where I'm going. And then eventually we're walking around and um, a tour guide said, hi, can I help you guys out and give you a tour? And we're like, oh yeah we're new <laughs> so um but we're very familiar with this this plantation and um this is one of the plantations that would kind of house the um the parties to show off the the, the beautiful slave women and they had a book of all the traits and i'm slipping through like kind of knowing exactly where i am and my husband's going why is this so weird so we we literally in a weird twist of fate, went to a place where we had met in a previous lifetime. That's how we had originally met. Um, now, my husband, you know, he bought me from somebody else who is in this lifetime, okay, who is a businessman. Um, and he's, he's the he's only child in this lifetime and that lifetime he was only child to inherit everything same thing of this lifetime and um we went to his plantation in the united states and because he can't marry because we fell in love and he can't marry me he just never got married well he got so old that they're like you have to have an error so he you know married this white woman um and never really loved her because we kept the relationship i ran away to the north it broke his heart. He almost died. His wife, who did he did have a kid with, and I ran away with with our kid because we had a kid, but I didn't want our son to be um, a slave. So I ran away with my my son to the north, like Canada. And um, he uh, he was so brokenhearted that um, he almost died. And his wife 
went and found me and asked me to come back and said, I'm not going to enslave you. I promise you're going to have free right to go back, whatever. And so I came back, he got better. And then he would come and visit me at my home up north, um, like every quarter and stuff. But in this lifetime, she's his um, ex-girlfriend that was completely psychotic about it, about him. And it's the same person. So it was the same kind of groups over and over again. Um, But the thing that was interesting is that was that one lifetime. The lifetime after that, I became um, a white woman who married him again. And now we're both white. And we own um, basically like the same slaves, but uh, because I was a slave before, I had a lot of sympathy and empathy. And so um, we both were very, very good um, owners of, of our slaves. We gave them education. We gave them everything. We, we gave them nice housing. All the other plantations were very, very envious because we've set an example that made them um, not like us because they weren't doing the same thing. And so, um, and then another lifetime after that, we were Chinese feudal lords having feudal, you know, farmers and we were very good to them. We gave them education, good things. We paid for the kids and all that kind of stuff. Very, very good, paid them pretty well as well. And if they wanted to buy their own freedom, we would help them out and they could buy, we would help it all out. So um, we weren't very um, popular, but we had enough money that they couldn't do anything so it was kind of one of those but but in my case with my husband it built up you see so yeah one of my friends calls it compound interest exactly and and you probably had that too I mean so you had your Sumerian lifetime and now you've compounded to this lifetime <laughs> so um but what are some of your past lives that, that are fascinating <sighs> Um, (laughs) oh man. Well, the one that I remember the most that I remember when I was a kid, this one isn't as, I just remember, I remember, uh, drowning off of a boat in the Caribbean and I was, a, a, I was a black man who was Mm -hmm. a a pirate ship and I was, Mm -hmm. and I had memories of drowning and I refused to get on boats. Like I refused to get on a cruise. Yeah, because you're probably going to the slave crate, probably in Barbados. I, I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, it's just, I was a, a dark-skinned dude. And um, yeah, I have, I, have, I have two memories of being murdered as a Black man in my past You didn't life. have very good luck with a Black man, huh? As one, as one. As one in past lives. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, maybe that's... those are the ones that I remembered, because I remember being murdered twice. Uh-huh. Um, and um and one of them was in sub was in uh pre-colonial africa when i was uh in a tribe and i was a teacher in this tribe Mm -hmm. and i was murdered uh there as well uh so they they were tough i did (laughs) they were on and and i remember i don't know i remember being a british woman who um came for money and a man married me who didn't really love me but I couldn't have access to my own money unless I was married Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be a writer and I um did not complete my mission of being a writer and it was this whole thing of being a lady and being a writer and there was there was a lot of societal blocks yeah um to expressing my creativity to having um, my own secure income and I, I remember the room where I died. It was very weird. Because Wait, what I, was the room like? 
Uh, it was really beautiful. I mean, there was um, like, it was like tapestries everywhere and, uh -huh. and it was like blue and green and it was like in a big upholstered gorgeous bed and I had a nine-year-old son. Um, and so I remember those are the lives that I remember that were a lot, but the other lives uh, that I remember, I was a monk, a Christian monk. Mm -hmm. um, I remember Egypt. I remember being a priestess in Egypt. That was one of my first lives that I remembered. Um, I had some boring ones. I think I was in Woodstock and I died in 1969. Where at? I think I was in, uh, I don't remember where I was, but I know I went to Woodstock, maybe California is what it feels mm -hmm, like. Mm -hmm. have, you, have you recalled any lives or any of your clients recall any lives that are off world? Yeah. What are some of those? Um, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> because because we it all exists at the same time it all exists at the same time on on the other side everything in existence exists at the same exact moment there is no timeline there is no time so your future self is happening at the same time as your past self it's happening at the same time as the multiple versions of yourself uh advanced buddhism but yeah it's all happening at the same time and that's why when you get into energy healing you can heal any part because yes. you're in the same time in reiki you can heal across timelines exactly exactly because you're tapping into source code right you can rewrite it at any point so if there was like a past life that is factoring into this one you can go and just clear out that blockage or rewrite that code or whatever you want to call it so that it won't affect this one because you, you could do that um and you could do that also right now um in any modality in reiki and hypnosis or anything else about events in your past current life um, yeah. and when you do that be prepared I always tell my clients oh, they come to me anyways for their own personal Mandela effects when elements in their current life that they remember experiencing are slightly different or no longer exists what yeah so who do you go to <laughs> for that so they're like, I found Vaughn Gold. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's talk about it. What did you do different? How did you change? Okay, you saw your mom a little bit different. And now this mom has a completely different history than you remember. And she's arguing with you about when she got her divorce and when she got remarried. <laughs> so you guys have two different experiences. So now you have a parallel mom that obviously you did something better that that this version is much happier much lighter so good for you you got a better version of your mom so now she no longer has to experience the depressing version that she was before that's true yeah so when people do healing in any kind of energy work and they start healing these dense issues don't be surprised if people in your life kind of seem different Yeah. 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 Let me ask you this, you know, for people, because um, you actually offer meditation workshop and online courses as well. Can you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that? Because everybody loves to learn something new. Um, yeah, I have an online course that I actually should uh, reshare. And I'm working, it's called Empowered Empath. Mm. So all these spiritual tools for people who are really sensitive to help clear and maintain their energy. Um, which obviously I had to learn a lot of, and is a continual process when you are a healer and you're in people's energy all the time and you got to clear them and then clear yourself afterwards. 
Um, the other thing that I've been doing, I, I actually uh, I had my first um, my first public sound Reiki sound bath. Ooh, so I, that sounds like fun. It was really fun. Our next one uh, is February 25th. We're doing a monthly for now. And um, I had a really great time. We had an amazing time and we had a really big turnout. So it was, thrill it was thrilling. So my colleague, he uses gongs, crystal bowls, um, drums, uh, all chimes, all sorts of instruments. And I do Reiki and guided meditation in and out during. And it's like people are floating afterwards. So it's a really good time. I love that stuff. I'm, give me some of that good chi. <laughs> I love that stuff. Donation based. So there's no, no, you know, if, if people can't pay, they don't have to, it's no problem. If they want to pay, they can. So we do it very, we're very uh, professional about it. And so that, that I'm really proud of and excited about. That's awesome. Now, another question for people who offer Reiki or any forms of energy healing in their naturopathic or alternative wellness practice, what are your recommendations for how they can start their business on the right foot? Great question. Um, so my, a lot of people actually come to me and ask me about this. And the first thing that I tell them is to work on their money mindset. Mm. My, favorite, my favorite way to work on money issues is to really um, first do an inventory of all your spending, get clear about uh, your debts, your whatever, what you're blowing your money on, like know what you know, really understand your finances. Um, then to go through all of your beliefs about money and then to tap them out to reprogram your mind. I use tapping to reprogram beliefs on money. And that's my favorite way. The other thing is make it easy for people to book you and make sure there are reviews of you online. Yes. Yes. So, so like, if they, like, so there, because I think it's 80% of how you feel is, and also do good karma with money, give to charity uh, all the time, tip people well, do the right thing. So, um, I think I, I believe in tithing in that way. Um, and, but I think 80% of being successful in, in, in a healing modality as a, as an entrepreneur is to believe in yourself, to work on your internal issues, to work on your family issues. It doesn't have to be with them. It could be just with the voices that have been internalized in your mind when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. What beliefs do you have about yourself? What beliefs do you have about money? What beliefs do you have about being seen? Maybe they have past life issues of being burned as a witch or whatever. That's very or common for, for women. Um, smart women in the past uh, kind of have that in their background. They have, they, they have it a lot. So like if you have these past issues or maybe they're, I know this sounds, maybe someone who was sexually abused in this lifetime. And how does that impact your, like, if you, if you heal yourself or you work on healing um, your internal trauma, you know, then that's, um, or heal your relationship with source or the universe. Mm -hmm. I think that being a healer is a, you know, being a human is a constant, for me, it's a constant journey of rebuilding myself and the process of being a healer, you have to do it even more because you're holding space for other people. So yeah. I'm not saying that we have to be, per obviously no one's perfect. We're not perfect. We don't have our shit hundred percent together. Um, I certainly don't, but you know, really know how to work on yourself, really know how to face your own darkness. If you want to be in the business of transforming people's darkness into light. Mm -hmm. 
Very, very, very well said. And, you know, like with that, what common themes do you get from the angelic guide about people to help them raise their level of consciousness and energy? What? Yeah. What are the common themes that you get from the angels on how people can raise their? I think the their- common theme, the themes that I've been getting for myself lately is that um, everything is healing. Mm, that's so true. That's true. Let, and let me ask you one more question about that. Since everything, because people typically think that healing has to be like energy healing be, or. It does not have to be hands-on people. Healing could be when you walk in a room and you brighten someone. Healing could be when you make someone laugh. Healing could be when you write a book or do a podcast, people read it. Sometimes people are heal, feel healing when they relate to your story. Because mm-hmm. I did the CNBC thing where um a lot of uh a lot of people contacted me afterwards uh-huh on the cnbc thing i said that i was divorced and that was something that like one woman related to the fact that i was divorced another person related to the fact that i did comedy another person related to um something else but like for me the more authentically you share your story the more people's hearts you will touch mm. Mm. and when i was younger I felt that in my bones that if I shared my story honestly, that I would be excommunicated or something or shunned. While in the reality, it's the opposite. The greater the vulnerability, the greater the connection. Beautiful, beautifully said. Well, Jessica, thank you again for an enjoyable interview about, mm-hmm. yes, about this age-old energy healing modalities. Um, hands-on energy healing is a beloved healing modality in Buddhism and in many Eastern schools of thought. And I'm so delighted that you are an example of how people can build a successful practice doing Reiki. So for more information, everybody, about Jessica Brodkin's offerings, please visit her website, which is loveandlightservices.com. Thank you again for our listeners for listening to another enlightening conversation. Until next time, blessings. Blessings. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Merkaba Chakras, where we talk Buddhism in the fifth dimension. For more information about today's guest, please go to the show description. For more information about Vaughn's metaphysical work, please go to MerkabaChakras.com. The views expressed today are for entertainment purposes and do not necessarily reflect the views of the host or replace any medical or legal advice. Don't forget to subscribe for more interviews about the fifth dimension. Until we meet again, blessings.